I mean, I, I love Luke Acts. I wish every now and then I, it'll be one of my questions to God. Why didn't the New Testament begin with Luke Acts? Because Luke Acts is the story. Luke is the story of Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit's role in his life and activity. And Acts is the story of the birth of a new people, a new covenant people made up of Jew and Gentile, filled with the Holy Spirit on an incredibly important mission to the whole earth to help people get reconciled to God so that they can get in on this amazing experience. This morning, Robin and I were talking about that sometimes even what's also unfortunate is that there's this, um, I think from my own opinion, it's just Mark Fee's opinion, but there's a little bit too much from my point of view, focus on Matthew 28, 20, 19 and 20, of, you know, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey that sometimes people can get the idea that we're just supposed to go out and try to get people saved, to get them baptized, and then try to get them to obey commandments. Where Luke Acts, I think, is a little bit more helpful, where the goal is, is that at the end of Acts, when Jesus, or at Luke, when Jesus shows up to the disciples, he reminds them that you will be my witnesses, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations, right? Which is also in the Matthew text. But what the Matthew text doesn't have, and again, it's just mystery to me, is that the Matthew, even the whole Matthew gospel, doesn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Only six times is the Spirit mentioned, and five of those are in regards to Jesus' own relationship to the Spirit. There's only one reference, which is actually important to what we're going to look at today. And that is where Jesus promises them, you're going to experience opposition. You're going to experience persecution. You're going to be brought before rulers of the synagogues and others. But don't fear, because the Holy Spirit will be with you, and he will help you know what to say and how to say it. But that's the only reference to the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in Matthew's gospel, where again, Luke acts. The, the most amazing thing about Luke acts is that it, the Holy Spirit's mentioned from the very get-go and all the way through Jesus. The Spirit came on him in, um, at his baptism, and most people don't recognize it in his baptism when God said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 42.1, where he says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. There's that exact phrase, yet the very next verse says, And I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. I mean, that passage is getting fulfilled. And then the amazing thing is, as he get, comes out of the waters of baptism, and then Luke says, being filled with the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then by verse 14, it says he comes back out and heads up to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And what does he do? He goes into the synagogue. He opens the scroll to Isaiah 62, right? And he finishes it. And I still, I just love this, right? <laughs> he finishes it. This is in his own hometown, in his own synagogue. And he sits down and he goes, today, this has been fulfilled 
in your hearing. At his baptism, he could have come out of the water. Maybe he didn't. said, today, Isaiah 42.1, has been fulfilled in your presence. Now in the synagogue, he says, today, today, because the Spirit is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, etc., etc., etc. But he's saying the Spirit is on him. And all the way through, there's a reference to life and walking in the Spirit. And the power of the Spirit is how Jesus did what he did. So that finally, at the end, in Luke 24, Jesus' final words again is to remind them, you are going to proclaim this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. But, 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 do not leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. In the same way, he could not do what he did without being clothed, without the Spirit coming on him at baptism. Neither could we do any of this without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So then Luke continues the story in Acts 1 where we have Jesus saying in verse 4 and 5, Do not leave Jerusalem until you have received, and this is the second time now that the Spirit gets referred to as the gift my Father promised. There are seven times that the Holy Spirit is referred to as gift. Gift. Not earned. Not for any other reason other than it's the sheer kindness and grace of God. Not only to give us forgiveness of sin so that the very first proclamation of the gospel, at the end of it, when people are cut to the heart, which is a way of saying they believe what they hear Peter saying, and they go, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is so unfortunate to me, my sister, who is a Trinitarian um, um, theologian, seminary uh, teacher, she often points out in Acts 19, you'll get there at some point when, remember the story where, where Paul runs into some uh, believers coming out of, out of Ephesus, or so he thinks, until he asks them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? To which they say, we didn't even know there was a Spirit. And then he says, well, then what did you believe in? And they said, in the baptism of John. To which Paul goes, oh, no, 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 no. That was just a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus, the baptism that Jesus came to bring was not only how sins could be forgiven, but then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so then they believe, they pray for him, they get baptized and come out of the water prophesying and speaking in tongues. This is what it means to be Christian. Is when we believe, you don't just get sins forgiven. It's two sides of one coin, as it were, right? You also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do this. But ultimately, it puts us all on mission, right? Because then in Acts 1.8 is kind of Luke-Acts version of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where he says, you will be clothed with power from on high, and you will be my witnesses 
to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And this is what you and I get birthed into. Like I referred to it in the past, some of you did first love with me, is that, again, the hard part with the, sometimes with our, our, our viewpoint of sharing the gospel is that we think it's just to get people saved into heaven and escape hell. No, it's to be reconciled to God and become a part of the family business. Wait, family business? Mark, what are you talking about? When we get reborn, rebirth, or in some cases, Paul chose to use the idea of adoption. The point is, you and I got birthed into a new family. And the family business, what I like to refer to it as, is image making. Because Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the triune God says, let us make beings in our likeness, in our image. To which Jesus then is referred to the one who actually lived out being the image of God. We're in Romans 8. So many people know Romans 8, 28, but they don't know 29 necessarily. <laughs> Where he says, God's working everything for good. Which, by the way, the word, it's not our good and it's not the good. In the Greek, it's just for good. Which means God's the one who gets to decide what that is. But if there's one specific good thing that God's always doing in our lives, is verse 29 where he says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. This is the family business. You get reconciled. You get into relationship with God. You get rebirthed. And then you become, you get into the process of being made into his likeness. So you in turn can image that likeness to people. So that one day you and I can, can with, with clear conscience and sincere heart say to someone, what do you mean you don't know if there's a God? Or if you ask, what's God like? You can say, if you've seen me, if you've experienced me. That's who he is. That's what he's like. Do you realize? I think with all my heart, that's God's end goal. Is that you and I would be so transformed like him so that we like Jesus can say, what do you mean? Show us the father. Have I been with you for so long and you don't know him? It was supposed to be, you know, people often refer to the attraction model where people do, you know, fancy music and lights and this. And that's not the attraction model that Jesus had in mind. The attraction model is true, but it's us. We're supposed to be drawing people to God as they would see us and go, who are you? Why are you? What do you? How do you do this? Why do you do this? So we got brought into this mission. You got saved into this family business. Where we together are trying to, yes, proclaim this message, which actually gets referred to regularly in Acts as the word of God which we're so used to thinking of that as the Bible, but the word of God, the word of the Lord in Acts, it means the proclamation of God's message. So they're 
out to tell everybody there's a God who loves you and wants to have relationship with you and bring you into this incredibly cool thing of becoming like him and showing him off to others and drawing them into the family business. That's the mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, to all the nations. Even sometimes you might miss that, that this all began all the way back in Genesis, where God promised that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And there's this one little moment in, in Acts chapter 3, verse 26. No, it's before that. Verse 20. 25. Sorry, this print's too small in my Bible. I need to get a bigger Bible one of these days. <laughs> but don't miss this. Once when Peter's speaking, he says, Indeed, beginning with Samuel, verse 24, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers, where he said to Abraham, through your offspring, do not miss this, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. You guys, you, me, we are not Jews by birth. This was about us, a hope for us. <laughs> and they needed to get it so that the message would start going out to us, to all of us. Because God loves the world. That he gave his only son. He loves all people. And wants them to come. To that, to that wonderful experience. Of knowing him. And being in the family. And part of the family business. This is the mission we are on. This is the purpose for which. We gather weekly. In small group. All of it. To conform us more into his likeness. So that we love. As he has loved us. That we love in the way that he loved. All of this, this transformation to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And not just by reading about it, but by experiencing that love again and again and again so that it changes our lives. Right? Now, <clears throat> when I, I actually had four classes. My father taught at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And I had him for four classes. And one of them was the book of Acts. And when we started, my father did an overview of the, of the book. But at the end of it, he says, as we go through this class, I want to challenge you with a question. And in some ways, I'm going to blow it for you guys, um, because I could actually have you think about it as you go through your study. But I'm going to tell you what he came up with and why. But he wanted you to, if the main title is the Acts of the Apostles, what would be the subtitle? And in the end, my father's statement was, nothing is going to stop it. Or more slang like, nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. All the way even through the Gospels, as well as through Acts, as well as through all of Old Testament history. Time and time again, the enemy is trying to stop that mission. 
to stop people finding out who God is and how amazing he is and how much he loves them. And there's no greater life than losing your own to be a part of his. No greater joy, nothing on earth like it could ever touch the wonder of being loved and loving and giving it all away, becoming like him. That's the it. Nothing's going to stop it. Karen, can, can we share a screen for a second? You have the ability to share a screen. Um, I already have it. Oh, great. Yeah. What I want to do is I, I put the link in, but I want you to, um, I just want you to see the website where a guy who is my really dear friend and tutor, a couple years older than me in the seminary, he ran with that phrase and started a ministry called Nothing's Going to Stop It. Um, and you can see here, it's all one word. Nothing's going to stop it. His name is Bill Jackson. He's right here. There's a complete audio sem seminar where he goes for seven hours. He walks you from Genesis to Revelation to show how this mission, this big picture mission God's been about since Genesis to Revelation. And no matter how hard the, the world, the devil tried to stop it, nothing nothing nothing's gonna stop it and so you can see he's got his this book there's this uh he also wrote a book in terms of how the vineyard movement is trying to be a part of that but anyway they're trying to write material now for schools for for anyway there's all this wonderful stuff radicalministries.org shop but my brother, Bill Jackson, he just fell in love with that idea that nothing's going to stop it. But you know where my father ultimately showed where this was happening? You guys would have finished with this last week. Where in chapter five, this is where the idea came from. So if you want, take a look for a moment again at chapter five toward the end. Now remember, in chapter three, and part of four, and now this part of chapter five, Peter and the apostles are persecuted by the religious leaders. And in this case, at the end of five, these guys are furious because in verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, honored by all the people, told them to tell the, put the guys outside for a minute and let me talk to you guys. And here's where nothing's going to stop it comes to mind. God is on mission from the very get-go. Even as early as Genesis 3, where he says he would crush the heel of the enemy. And there, there would be one who would come through, that, through the lineage there to deliver us. And of course, Moses and Ab or Abraham and then Moses, etc., etc. But then what I love is that... Gamaliel says, okay, take a step, take a deep breath, pause for a moment, and think about this for a minute. Remember, there was this guy named Thutis, and he tried to do an uprising and a revolt, but eventually he gets killed, and all of his followers get dispersed, and it comes to nothing. And then he mentions this guy, Judas the Galilean, but he too was killed, and they were scattered. 
But then he says this most important, this, this is the theme verse, I think. I think my father's right. Jack's built a whole ministry around it. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. In fact, what's even sillier and more foolish is not only will you not be able to stop these men, but you will find yourself fighting against God. Hello? This is pretty dumb. And of course, the last sentence then is 42. He says, day after day, in the temple courts out in public, which is kind of what we're doing now in the community, gather, bigger gathering, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. They never stopped speaking and teaching the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is what you and I were saved into. It's not saved out of hell and into heaven. We are saved into this mission, saved into this family business, saved into becoming more and more like him so that the world can see there is a genuine alternative. Jesus said, it's better if I go, because if I go, when I'm just one person on mission, if I go, I can send my spirit. The Father and I will send the gift of the spirit, which is why I changed Pentecost Sunday as a day that we celebrate. And I changed it to Invasion Day. Invasion Day. Pentecost Sunday is Invasion Day when God's, by his spirit, launch this entire army into the earth and just continues to expand and grow it until he's taken over. We are on mission until he returns. This is what it's about. And the point of Luke Acts is that no matter how hard the enemy, no matter how hard religious people, how hard pagans, no matter how hard anybody tried to, to stop it, you can't fight against God. This is God's thing. God's mission. God's movement. All by grace. All by kindness. All by, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Gift. This is what we're doing. This is what we're about. This is the it of nothing's going to stop it. Nothing is going to stop it. Well, so here you have these guys, they get delivered. And, and mind you, just to back up just for a second, even Luke, right, the Jesus portion of the story, there's some moments there where you really think, seriously, Lord? Where John the Baptist, right, his cousin, I mean, things were just getting good. And all of a sudden, John just speaks truth and finds himself in jail. And then because of some whim and because of hatred of, of Herod's wife, right? He gets his head cut off. 
And I'm telling you, there had to be a few, and perhaps even Jesus to some degree, because he is sad. He has to go mourn the loss of his, of his cousin. To go, really, Lord? You said nothing's going to stop it, and yet here's this guy that has been in the wilderness all these years. We're finally just getting on a roll, and he gets taken out? Well, honestly, guys, even just looking at communion, watching that piece of the passion of Christ, man, it brought all the tears back. I remember sitting in the movie theater and I, my oldest son, who was like 13, I think back then, he's like, dad, are you, are you going to be okay? Because I sat there in the theater for 20, 25 minutes. I just could not stop sobbing. You know, it's one thing to, to read, right? as you did and I like to read about what he did for us and remember the cup but man at that moment with that music playing and just watching the shuddering going on it's oh my gosh you know we always think that he just died no he suffered and died he suffered and died and there couldn't have been nothing more confusing where everybody has this idea, at least not the religious ones, but have this idea, is Jesus the one? Is Jesus the one? John asks, are you the one? Are you the one? And then he makes this incredibly important statement. And write this down too, if I haven't encouraged you to get this book. There is this little book called The Prisoner in the Third Cell. Ready to the ready. Prisoner in the Third Cell by Gene Edwards. Oh, you read it? Right? Isn't that an amazing book? Oh, awesome. Awesome. It One reason awesome. I couldn't, I, I, from I opened it, I never moved until the book, I closed the book. Yeah, and it only takes, what, an hour, maybe, hour and a half? Yeah. It's yeah. hard to read it that fast because you have to keep stopping and reflecting. But listen to me now. And crying. And crying, right? But listen to me now, halfway through the book, John sends, remember how John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one? And they come back and tell him all that Jesus is doing. And then John says, is that it? Is that all he said? And then one of the disciples said, well, he said this other weird thing. Well, what is it? He said, blessed are you if you're not offended by me. Wait, what? Blessed are you if you're not offended by me. And the power of that little book is recognizing that for many of us, we know, and even as um, our sister, I can't remember your name, um, led worship this morning, there is a final overcoming that happens. But there are an awful lot of moments when we know that nothing's going to stop it, but then things happen to go, really, God? Really? And that little book is one of the most comforting, helpful books to remember. Blessed are you if you're not offended by me. For you see, John gets taken out, it seems, way too early. And quite frankly, so does Jesus. Right? I mean, who could have expected from Sunday to Friday in a bazillion years to ever have happened? Nobody. I mean... These guys are arguing, remember? James and John's mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, man, when you enter into your being Messiah and ruling, right, can my two sons sit beside you? I mean, this is what they're thinking about. 
And now Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, this is it for some of them. Who could have imagined death on a Roman cross as an insurrectionist? So many of us can never imagine what the first Easter Saturday was really like. We always celebrate Resurrection Weekend knowing what Sunday brings. But imagine the first Easter Saturday. I mean, the devastation to their hearts and souls. They're hiding in fear. They're like, are you kidding me? Now what? Talk about thinking here God was on a roll and nothing's going to stop it. And he's going to take over and make Israel a great nation again. And then boom, Easter Saturday. But unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, who could have ever fathomed what would have happened on the day he rose? That we find out that he wasn't a liar or a lunatic. But he wasn't dying as all other humans die for their own sins. He was dying for ours. And we know it was true because God raised him and accepted the sacrifice in our place so that he was free to rise because he was without sin and did no longer carried ours because God forgave it. And that's how we know without resurrection. You know, we spend so much time singing about the cross, but we should be spend singing as much about resurrection. Because without resurrection, the cross is nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. First Corinthians 15, Paul says, you guys, we're the biggest idiots on the planet. Because if there's no resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Because we're the biggest fools. Because we've forsaken everything. Forsaken everything. Believing there's a future because he was raised, we too will be raised. If he's not raised, then our faith is futile, he says, and we are still in our sins. And we're going to die and stay dead. I mean, resurrection, friends. Without resurrection, there's nothing. There is no Christian faith. But thankfully, it's not just with resurrection. Then comes invasion day. Woohoo! And that's Acts. Acts chapter 2. And the rest of the book, right? Well, nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. So now we get to Acts chapter 6. And I'm supposed to talk. With a few more minutes. How much time do I have, Ava? I got to go do a wedding here in a little bit. So. Right. So you determine the time. All right. So I'll stop when I'm getting scared. Like, I better go get a suit on and get out of here. So. <laughs> oh, but it's so much fun to talk to you guys. Um, so chapter six through eight. So here's the deal, right? <clears throat> But let me, let's go back from just a moment, though, to Acts chapter 4. Remember, and I know Ava talked about this. I love that prayer when it says that they stretch, you know, Father, stretch forth your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And remember, then the whole room was shaken, probably an earthquake. They're filled again with the Holy Spirit, which that's still a mystery to me. I mean, oftentimes people say we leak. I don't know exactly what that means, because once we received the Spirit, we did. But I don't know if there's this sense in which we're more aware of the filling and presence of the Spirit. All I know is that the next thing it says, 
And then they proclaimed the word of God. That's what I'm telling you, why it's the gospel. They proclaimed the word of God, the message of God, boldly. And there was this combination of by the presence and power of the Spirit, signs and wonders. Because this is another awesome thing, is both in Acts chapter 4, at the end of 4, when there's that little thing about community again, where he says that God continued to bear witness to the resurrection because of the power that was happening. Do you realize nobody said in the name of Thutis, get up and walk. In the name of Judas the Galilean, get up and walk. No, they said in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he walked. Because that name, that name has power. Because of who he is and what he did and who he was from the Lord, from God. That's the name, right? That's the name. The name that changes everything. The one who changes everything right? So, asking for signs and wonders to, to bear witness to the, to the resurrection, because in his name, God would never do those things. If Jesus was a liar or a lunatic, if he wasn't who he was, God would never, 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 never do all these amazing miracles and signs in his name if he was a fraud, if he was a fake, if he was a liar, if he was crazy. So they pray, Lord, let those signs and wonders. And in Acts 14, verse 3 is the other place where it says explicitly that God continued to bear witness to the resurrection. As the apostles did, many signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are this thing all the way through. It was the very first seminar that the leader of the Vineyard Movement that I've been a part of my whole adult life. His very first seminar was called Signs, Wonders, and Church Growth. Because for a lot of people, the signs and wonders gets their attention to go, whoa, what was that? And who did that? Oh, you mean there is a God? Okay, so now tell me about that God, right? So there was this combination going on, signs and wonders, stretch forth and preaching the word of God boldly. This is what's going on. So now we get to Acts 6, right? And here's this amazing thing where it says, in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. And we have this moment, right, that God's on a move. He's doing a movement. Something's happening. Thousands are being added to their numbers. And now there's this feeding problem. And so, you know, they do the, the wise thing and they get this group of leaders. Stephen's one of them full of uh, the Holy Spirit and faith. But, you know, this guy is got to be deeply loved you know I, I just can't help but wondering if he was among that 72 you know that were also walking with jesus and especially because when he when he's dying he remembers the very words of jesus that he sees the lord jesus and then says father forgive them for they know not what they do and into your hands i commit my spirit i can't help but wondering i mean he could have heard the story of but maybe he heard it at the cross maybe he was there at that moment all I know is that he's full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And then it says over in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So there you have it again, right? Now, think about this. <laughs> this is a beloved man who's doing amazing things in the power of God, full of wisdom, 
But then verse 9, it says opposition arose. And here it comes again. Opposition arose. And remember, Jesus promised this. He promised. In fact, I, I, I love in John 16. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. I mean, he's aware. You know, when you start getting persecuted, it's really easy to want to quit and stop and run away and doubt and go, wait, God, I don't know if I signed up for this. Jesus says, look, all this I have told you, which the end of 15, he's telling them they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. I'm like, okay, Jesus, this is your pep talk for the mission. Um, it's not working too well, <laughs> right? So that's the problem with chapter headings. You, you kind of miss. So 16.1 is still in the same vein where he says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Remind you of this guy named Saul? They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And I've told you this, so when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And in Luke and Matthew also, he said, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Well, isn't that been the chapters 3, chapters 4, 5? They're being brought in front. And the whole, and they had those little moments full of the Holy Spirit, you know, Peter says. I mean, direct fulfillment of what, what Jesus promised was going to happen. And for a lot of us, opposition, I mean, that doesn't sound like fun. It hurts. It's hard. And yet again, the wildest thing is in the end of five, it says when the, when the apostles, you know, were let go, it says they, they rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. You know, I'm like, that's not normal, friends. Which again goes all the way back to the fact that Jesus had to have been raised from the dead. They saw a resurrected Jesus and they got filled with a Holy Spirit that's not just a theological concept. He's a person who filled them with his love and with his power and his spirit bore witness with their spirit that they had become God's children. I'm telling you, the Christian faith, what causes us to do this thing is because it's a real Jesus who's resurrected and a real Holy Spirit who comes into our lives and empowers us to walk this walk when it's insanity to everybody else on the outside going, why would you go through this? Because this is not it. John Wimber used to always say, look, he says, I know I'm just change in the Lord's park pocket to be spent however I wi he wishes. And you see, Stephen's one of these moments, similar to John, similar to Jesus, where we have this moment where it says that, that they loved him. The people loved Stephen. They admired, I mean, there's a sense in which you like, he's one of our star players, right? I mean, this guy is full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, faith, moves in grace and power. Every time he answers, they're blown away because the Spirit gives them wisdom. I mean, this is our guy. If we're going to send anybody in to win the game, let's send in Stephen, baby. 
And then they say, okay, he's speaking against the law, against Moses, against the temple. And then they say, so Stephen, what do you have to say about these charges? And then he launches into a history lesson. It's unbelievable. I'm like, wait, what? And he's cruising through this history lesson so that he goes through Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and then Moses is called. And then how they reject Moses. And then eventually they finally go to Solomon and David and there's the tabernacle and ultimately becomes the temple that they're referring to that he says, Jesus right said that it would be torn down and he would rebuild it back up. But then the most amazing thing, it's like, I don't know if the Holy Spirit went, yo, Stephen, this is really good information, but now I want you to say this because it's so abrupt, right? I mean, just look at it in your Bible. In verse 68, 48, man, I, there it goes, 48. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, Isaiah. Heaven's my throne and the earth is my footstool. <clears throat> what kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? I mean, he's just like built it all the way up to finally God is the God of gods. There is no temple. And then it's like all of a sudden the spirit just goes, Stephen? No more history lesson, say this. Or he says, just trust the next thing out of my mouth is from me. Because if I were Stephen and he started downloading this next thing to say, I would have went, really, Lord? This could get me killed. Right? I mean, it's so sudden. But you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you, you, you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And all of a sudden he, he stops talking and goes, was that really you, Holy Spirit? That could get me killed. And it does. And you guys, you know, when it gets down to um, verse 1, <clears throat> is that where I want? Yeah, ver actually verse 2. It says, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. They loved this man. Again, can you imagine the confusion in the community? Like, wait, we just sent in our star player. This guy's he he's he's our guy. You know what's really remarkable is you go, yeah, he was an amazing guy. But the father says, but his time is done. And you know what I'm convinced of is that John the Baptist. Jesus, Stephen, and then later in Acts 12 comes the other most mind-disturbing moment to me. When Herod, again, evil as evil can be, arrests James. 
and cuts his head off. He sees this positive response from people, so he arrests Peter, but it's the Sabbath, so he can't do it. And then Peter gets out and has that great story, right? He doesn't, he's not even sure that it's not just a vision until finally he's really out in the street. So he goes to the house where he knows everybody's praying, right? They were praying, 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 praying. I'm sure they were praying for James too. I don't think they were praying any less, with any less faith, any less earnestly for James. But James gets his head cut off. The next day, Peter gets out and shows up at the house. And in the same way, it says godly men buried and deeply mourned the loss of Stephen. You know what I think? Is I think when Peter walked through the door, or I mean, yeah, when Peter walked through the door, John was really glad to see him. But I'll bet you he had to get up and go for a walk and just cry and go, Father, why? Why, Jesus, did you invest three years into the three of us? James, Peter, and me. And yet you let James get taken out the night before, and yet you let Peter get out by a miracle. Help me understand that. And then you hear Jesus' words to John the Baptist, the disciples. Blessed are you if you are not offended by me. For see, somehow we still have to see that nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. And, and literally in this moment, this thought just has come into my mind. You know what it says right after that? Verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You know, what no one could have imagined was that there was another Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who was doing exactly what Jesus said, thought he was doing a good thing. The persecution broke out so extensive, but you know what it did? Let me finish that thought. But Saul, in this part of the story, but Saul is the one who's doing the most outrageous persecution of all. But in chapter 9, but Saul, but Saul, you thought Stephen was your star player? I've got another star player who actually speaks Greek, who actually is a, both a Roman citizen and he's been trained by the best, born from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, zealous. But Saul, but Saul, see, we'd look at Stephen and think, yeah, that's the guy. I wish I was like Stephen. That's, the, that's our star player. Meanwhile, but Saul. Right there at that same moment, God's saying, you can't see it now, but I've got another one who's coming who will be even as much or more. Who will carry on this mission in a way you couldn't have imagined. You know, the Lord just showed that to me right now. Whew, makes me want to cry, right? <laughs> who could have imagined that? 
And see, here's the other thing is when persecution broke out, look at verse four. He says, those who had been scattered preached the word. It's the gospel. Preach the word of God wherever they went. And it says that they did it in Judea and Samaria. So go back to verse 1. On that day, a great person broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. Where? Throughout Judea and Samaria. Otherwise, they would have all camped out in Jerusalem and think, this is the place. Man, we're going to set up, you know, three tabernacles in Jerusalem. This is the, this is the mega church place, right? Well, the Lord uses persecution to go, remember I said, then Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. What you see as opposition, as you see as a great loss, and at some level it was an enormous relational loss that made them mourn and grieve. But nothing's going to stop it. That mission, that persecution is what got Philip and a ton of others out of the city. And you realize that chapter 8 is about Samaritans, Judea and Samaria. And they hated Samaritans. Hated Samaritans. And here's the final thing that I'll say. Because I, I really, I have a wedding at 2, so I really got to get out of here. But here's what I want you to catch is that sadly, and this is what I did my paper on for my father in class, was that sadly some of our charismatic and Pentecostal brothers and sisters have used the story in this chapter to create a doctrine that says we have to be saved first and then have a second experience of baptism in the Spirit. But I'm telling you, everywhere, even John, the writer, John, in John 7, when Jesus said, streams of living water would flow from within you. And John says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed would later receive. Remember Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul asks them in Acts 19, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Acts 10, he doesn't even get to finish his sermon, Peter, when suddenly, now it's the Gentiles begin to speak in tongues. And his whole mind is blown, but he goes, what else can we do? We got to baptize him. And then in chapter 11, finally, he gets called into the principal's office and they all go, what were you doing? He tells the story. And then finally, together, they go, well, clearly, God gave them the same gift that he gave us. And recognize now that the Gentiles are every much included. And see, here's the thing about Acts 8 and the Samaritans is that Peter was the one who proclaimed the message to the Gentiles. But it was Philip who proclaimed the message to the Samaritans. And I believe with all my heart that Acts chapter 8 is an exception to the norm. That the reason that the Spirit wasn't given when they believed and were baptized 
is because what it says is that Peter and John had to come down from Jerusalem. Do you realize it was the original guys that they have to see? It's not just in Jerusalem, but it's happening in Samaria. So that as they lay hands on, they have to watch with their own eyes that the Samaritans are included. And then Peter, with his own eyes, has to see that the Gentiles are included. The primary ones who were living with, walking with Jesus day after day. Make no mistake when I said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, all nations will be blessed. They are the eyewitnesses. Which is the miraculous thing about our entire Bible is that everything is based on eyewitness accounts. Luke went around to ask eyewitnesses and Peter and John said, yeah, we weren't there at first, but we went down and when we laid hands on them, the spirit came. That wasn't to set a doctrine into place. We believe and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what empowers us to overcome any opposition, anything that's difficult. And that we can literally go, Lord, whether I live or die, I am just changing your pocket in whatever role. And I think John the Baptist, Jesus, Stephen, and James, they died for our sakes. For our sakes, so that we could go, God, why would you do that? Why Jesus only for three years? Why John doesn't even get to see who Jesus really is and the resurrection and the spirit? Why Stephen, our star player? Why James? Invest three years into James. Because while we're doing this mission, there will be moments where we're going to go, ah, I don't get it. Or things are going on in your life and they're not happening the way you think they ought to. And that's what we have to remember. But the Spirit of God is working all things for good. And the good that was happening through John the Baptist, Jesus, Stephen, and James was the good that we would need God to give us examples to go. And when in your season, stuff is going to happen. Mind you, nothing's going to stop it. Just be careful of thinking in your own mind what you think it's going to look like. Even when it comes to your own life. Father, just help us. Bless us. Encourage us through these words. Lord, the other thing about all the rest of Acts is the constant opposition. The lists of Paul, Lord, in danger, in danger, in danger, in danger. Where he says, what will separate me from the love of Christ? Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword, trouble, or hardships? God, the rest of the story is filled with opposition, filled with hardship. But it's the experience of your forgiveness, the experience of rebirth and renewal by you, Holy Spirit, 
the confidence that nothing, nothing's going to stop your mission and that we would be at peace with whatever role we have in it for however long we have in it. Rejoicing that you will return and one day all things will be made new. In the meantime, no matter what the enemy throws at us, together with Paul, we say, I don't care, height nor depth, angels nor demons, life nor death, nothing will ever be able to separate me from God's love for me in Christ Jesus. Father, this is what stains us, your presence in us by your spirit, your love in us by your spirit, your power in us, both to be delivered and to endure and persevere. Father, most of all, again, just put us, uh, put our focus on mission. To engage in the family business of image making, to be image bearers. Until you come. Because in the end, Lord, Acts ends with Paul. Under the protection of Roman guards freely and without fear, giving away the message of the kingdom in Jesus for the remainder of his life. Acts 29, 30 and 2022, Lord. Acts is still being written, still being experienced until you come. So Lord, encourage our hearts today. And let us, like Stephen, be able to see you at the right hand and say, Father, forgive them. That even then, when we're being wrongly persecuted and harmed, misunderstood, that we would have the same grace, Father, forgive them. The same kindness, the same bigger picture. We love you, God. As we go into 2022, just let this lady renew our foundation again of what we're here on the planet for. And once again today, to surrender our lives to whatever part we play in the family business and for how long and for what purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.